1: Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6? And I'm really glad that we get a chance to look at John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 40. And let's remember as we read this that this is God's word. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, "'Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost.'" So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must me do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, "'Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world.'" They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's com.
1: And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe. Focusing on the Gospel of John, we pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't have any plans this year for Black Friday, though it's fine if you do. Though it's the day every year where American obsession with gifts is on full display It was five years ago, I think, that I stopped by a Best Buy in Grand Rapids at the end of the day on Friday And it looked like a bone that had been gnawed to the marrow There were people who had pretty clearly run through different displays And some of the DVDs and Blu-rays were still scattered on the floor The employees looked like they had been through a war zone And the whole place looked like it needed to shut down to recuperate for about a week before it could be opened up again and as I walked through and realized there was nothing left for someone like me to buy on Good Friday, everything had been purchased, everything had been picked over, everything really of value was gone. I thought, you know, there's something, there's something that's not right about this. The intensity of the consumption that's on display here demonstrates some kind of disordered desire to consume. It spoke about our culture that we're a gift-obsessed people, but we're not alone. American culture is not the only culture that prizes gifts or things, material stuff that you can hold in your hand, or food that you can eat. The same was true of those who lived at the time of the Lord Jesus. One of the reasons I love the scripture is that again and again we can see the reality of human nature on full display. Sometimes you might talk to somebody who will say, you know, the Bible is a book that was written so long ago. How can it be relevant to today? But especially when I read something like John chapter 6 and realize, oh my goodness, my own desire is so much like these people, I'm astounded at how relevant the Bible is and how clearly it demonstrates for us human nature and how intensely it directs us to what is of first importance and how important it is for us to see Jesus and trust in him. Because the tendency here that the crowd demonstrates when they come to the Lord Jesus is our own tendency. And John 6, because of that, is in certain ways a difficult passage. It's one of those, if you can't say amen, you have to at least say ouch when you read it, passages. And in John 6, it's especially stark because Jesus demonstrates who he is, the fact that he's God. One of those themes that runs all the way through the Gospel of John, the identity of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus demonstrates it clearly in two ways here, and yet despite that clear demonstration of the nature of the Lord Jesus, the people want the very thing that we're tempted towards in our own Black Friday culture. They want gifts rather than the giver. So Jesus demonstrates his nature in two ways in the passage. First, he shows that he's a creator, and then he makes that kind of claim. And then the people demonstrate that they want the creation not the creator. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. First, Jesus shows that he is the creator. The feeding of the 5000 is one of the is the only miracle that is repeated in every gospel account. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all tell the the narrative of the Lord Jesus feeding the 5000. Now, there's probably a practical reason for that, since there were so many people there, 5,000 men, the text says, so maybe fifteen or 20,000, if you include the women and children that would have been there, there would have been a lot of witnesses to that that would have told you about this particular miracle. People would have talked about this. There would have been a lot of buzz surrounding this particular miracle. But there's a theological reason, too, and that is that as Jesus performs this miracle, he is creating You can break bread up as much as you want, and you will never have more of it. It will just become crumbs that cover your floor. My children do an experiment in this every mealtime. They have never created any more bread. They've just created crumbs all over the place. That's what any of us would do. When we break apart bread or we break apart fish, we don't make more of it. We just make it messy. When Jesus starts breaking apart the loaves, There's more, and then there's more, and then there's more, and then there's more, and there's enough so that every one of those thousands of people is able to eat their fill, and then they're able to collect the leftovers, and there are 12 whole baskets of it, far more at the end after thousands and thousands of people have eaten than there were at the beginning when it was just five loaves and two fish. And the theological truth here is that this demonstrates that Jesus is God because only God can create. Only God can create. And so Jesus is demonstrating his nature. The smallest amount of financial or material resources are sufficient, you see, when we give them to the Lord God because he is able to multiply, because he is the creator. And the people miss what Jesus is trying to show them. They miss the sign that he's giving to them by his feeding of all of them because they immediately want material benefit from this. They try to make him king. That is what the end of the first section talks about. They try to make him king. Verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet. Who is to come into the world? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They see this act of power and they think, oh, they don't think, oh, we should worship him and try to draw near to him. They think, oh, this dude would make a great king. I mean, think about how effective he could be in war if he's able to supply all of his armies before each battle or each day just by multiplying food for them we'll be the wonder of the ancient world we'll be the greatest fighting force in ancient history before the marines became the greatest fighting force in modern history they try to make him king and Jesus is like that's not that's not for me and so he he backs away he backs away they miss the fact that he was demonstrating his divinity and his identity And the fact that they miss is going to come up again shortly. But Jesus, to his disciples, demonstrates his divinity a second time when he's walking on the water. He makes a claim about who he is. John chapter 6 Starting at verse 16 tells us about how the disciples went down to the sea. They get on a boat, they're going across the sea to Capernaum, the sea becomes rough because a strong wind is blowing. They row three or four miles, and then they see Jesus just walking on the sea, coming near them in the boat, and they're frightened. And he says just a simple phrase: It's I, do not be afraid. It is I do not be afraid. He uses a Greek construction, two Greek words, ego, a it's I am. Don't be afraid, I am. He'll use that same phrase when he refers to the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And as we hear that, that just seems pretty simple, right? I am a go a me but it harkens back to when god revealed himself in the burning bush to moses recorded in exodus chapter 3 let me read exodus 3 verses 13 to 15 for us then moses said to god if i come to the people of israel and say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name what shall i say to them god said to moses i am who i am and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Therefore, Jesus is picking up this language, this famous language in the Old Testament, when Moses asks, all right, who am I supposed to say to the people who sending me? And God reveals his covenant name to his people, this special name that the people of Israel wouldn't even say out loud. This incredible gift that he's revealing his personal covenantal name. And that name, he says, is just, is I am. I am. And Jesus here uses that twice. Once when he's talking to the crowd and he says, I am the bread of life. But the other time is when he's walking on the water and he comes up to the disciples and he says, don't be afraid. I am. It's a direct and clear claim of Christ's divinity. Don't be afraid, he says to his disciples. I am God. Now we should be comforted by this as well. As Jesus draws near to his disciples, he doesn't comfort them by telling them what he's going to do for them. He doesn't comfort them by telling them, listen, I'm going to get in the boat and then immediately we're going to be at the shore. Listen, you're about to receive a miracle that's going to take you out of this storm. Listen, in just a little bit, you won't need to be afraid anymore because you'll be on the shore, no longer tossed by any of those waves. One would think that if Jesus was about to do that and wanted to provide some comfort, that he might indicate, hey, you're about to be safe. Don't be afraid. But that's not the way that he comforts his disciples. He says, don't be afraid because I am God. Don't be afraid, I am. That same truth should be an amazing comfort to all of us. Throughout the Old Testament, the promises of God is that he, are that he is with his people, and therefore they don't need to be afraid. And Jesus is saying that same thing to his disciples. To all of us who are here today who want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be encouraged by the same thing. Jesus says, don't be afraid. He's God. And he is with you. So Jesus has demonstrated his identity through two different miracles and through a claim, through the feeding of the 5,000, through this creation, and through coming near to his disciples and declaring the divine name that, that he was I am, that he is I am. And the crazy thing is that most everyone in this section of scripture misses it. Most everyone misses it we are pick up again with the crowd. So Jesus has just fed these people uh, enough food to gather 12 baskets at the end. Then the disciples cross the sea and Jesus walks across with them. He's on the other side. The crowd wakes up the next day. They realize, hey, we can't find Jesus. The boat's gone here now. What happened? Where is Jesus? And boats come from Tiberias. And everyone gets together to try to make their way around this sea to try to find Jesus again. They are really intent at discussing. Him again, and then by the time they cross the sea and they find him, then they start asking him questions. And I, um, I, when I read this, I think that this is, I think that this is a little funny because they have been seeking for him. They find him on the other side of the sea. There's just this phrase, Rabbi. When did you come here? And as I read that, you know, I don't know the tone that the people are using here. It may be that they're surprised right, because they knew that he had been on their side of the sea and now he's on the other side of the sea. But Jesus responds to it in such a way where it almost seems like he knows they've been searching for him and they're looking for a way into the conversation. And, uh, and they're just like, oh, oh, hey, fancy meeting you here, Jesus. And he's like, I know why you're here. You want more bread, don't you? And that's what they want. Rabbi, when did you come here? They say to him, Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has sent his seal. And then the people ask, all right, what do we need to be doing to do the works of God? And he says, well, believe in me. And the people say, all right, well, how about you just give us one sign, and then we'll do that. All right, let's think of a sign, a sign, a sign that might work. Oh, here's one. Uh, y- you know, uh, the people in the wilderness got, got bread, and you already did that one. How about you do that one again? How about we do the bread thing again, Jesus? These people, are just, they just keep coming at him for like, for this gift, for the bread. They had eaten enough. Jesus is like, that's all you want is the bread. They're like, no, we just want a sign. Um, oh, but what sign would really work? Oh, how about some more bread? It's all they want. And it's pretty astounding when you think about it. Because Jesus has so clearly demonstrated who he is. And these people just want the benefits that he can give to them. Jesus has given them these signs. And they're like, yeah, we want more of those signs. And Jesus said, you know what? Those signs were all pointing to someone. They were all pointing to me. You can have me. And they're like, you know what? We'd love more of that bread. Last Sunday evening, Adron Robinson was here. He used an illustration that I just thought was so good. He said, when we see signs, we should not want the sign instead of the thing that's pointing to He's like, say you're going home to visit your family and you see a sign for the exit to your parents' home. You don't get out of the car and hug the sign that's telling you that it's your parents' exit. And yet that's what the people are doing here. They're like, this bread is testifying to the nature of Jesus, the true bread that's come down from heaven. And the people are like, that's what we want. We want to hug the sign rather than follow it to our real goal. You are giving to us this gift, and we want the gift rather than the giver of the gift. You, Christ Jesus, God himself, who says, you can have me more than just this bread. And they're like, we just want the bread. It would be as foolish as, you know, making your way through Black Friday and then to Christmas. And say you've chosen a great gift for a family member. And you wrap it up and you put it underneath the tree. And they open up the gift and they're like, oh, this is great. You can go now. I've got this. I don't need you anymore. Thanks, dad. This is a wonderful gift. Why don't you go uh, away now? We're fine here because we have this gift. Or honey, you just spent so much time focusing on this. Now that I have this, I don't need you anymore. That'd be nonsense. The gift itself is to demonstrate the love of the one who's giving it to you. The gift itself, if received correctly... Demonstrates a, a, like a growing appreciation of the one who has, has given you the gift. When you receive the gift, you, you just appreciate the giver even more and it should let you want to, you know, spend time with and be with the one who has given the gift. And the opposite is happening here. It is terribly sad. And the sad thing that, you know, as we apply it to ourselves is this. This is the way that we act towards God all the time. We come to Jesus because we think that we might get something. And if I turn to Jesus, I'll have more influence. There's some preachers who preach Jesus for fame. There's some people who try to come to Jesus because they think it will bring them a romantic relationship or money. Or stability. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that any of these things is necessarily wrong. Influence can be good if used for the common good. Christian fame can be used for the cause of Christ. A romantic relationship grounded explicitly in the gospel of the Lord Jesus is beautiful. Money is very good when it's used in a stewardly way. The problem is if the gifts distract us. The problem is if the good thing becomes an ultimate thing. The problem is if we look at the thing that we've been given from God and we say, that is what I want, and we miss the one who has given it to us. It's a problem if any good thing becomes an ultimate thing, if any gift of God becomes an ultimate sort of thing. And as we're entering into the Christmas season, and as we're coming up to Thanksgiving, it's important for us to keep this in the front of our minds. On Thanksgiving Day, we're going to give thanks to God for all of his gifts that he's given to us, and that's a very good thing. And we should allow those great gifts that he's given to us to expand our appreciation of and our enjoyment of the giver, because God is better than any one of those gifts and he offers to you himself. Jesus is better than any one of those gifts and he offers to you himself. And as we come to Christmas, and as we celebrate the fact that Christ Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh came to earth, it can be so simple, so simple to look away from the one who is the great gift, that is Christ Jesus, and just care about that which is going to be underneath our trees. And so don't lose, don't lose the giver for the gift. Because the testimony of John chapter 6 is that Jesus is better is that he is near, and is that he's offering himself to you, and that is more than enough. You know, throughout the scripture, the greatest blessing that any of us could experience is being near God.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs,